But if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn with me to the book of Genesis, chapter 32. Book of Genesis, chapter 32. And there is a, another message that I want to preach. I've kind of sandwiched it in here. I had intended to preach about the life of Joseph. Uh, that's going to be for another time, another day. But wanted to, as, as most of you know, we've been and are going through a sermon series entitled The Classics. The Classics. The Classics are, in, at least in my opinion, some of the great Old Testament stories that are found in the Bible that a lot of you might have heard growing up in Sunday school, whatever kind of church background you may or may not have, you may have heard about some of these. We've put a list, a fairly uh, long list in the bulletin of what we're going through. Uh, but as I just was continuing to read and to pray about what it was that uh, I would do next, uh, really felt to go to uh, this passage of Scripture that for this message today I've entitled Jacob's Wrestling Match. Jacob's Wrestling Match because uh, I believe it is, in fact, one of the unparalleled stories of the Old Testament and, in fact, it is a turning point in Jacob's life. There are events that take place in our lives that mold us, that shape us, that cause us to be what we are, that cause us to uh, make some decisions in our lives that maybe we would not have made. But this event in the life of Jacob was one that molded him and shaped him, and not only him, but his family and the nation of Israel going forward. And I believe with all my heart that God desires to have an event with you that he desires to have an encounter with you that will mold your life, that will shape your life and cause you to be not what other people think you should be, but what God says you should be according to his word. This moment in the life of Jacob was something that would shape him for all of eternity. Now I have notes here today, but I just kind of feel almost to abandon this a little bit in terms of the notes, because I want to give you a little bit more background to what was going on at this moment than what I had actually anticipated in doing. So if you will just kind of stick with me here, and we're going to take the time, I'm going to read this passage right now, but I'm actually going to move a little bit more forward, behind or backwards in the Bible a little bit to just talk to you about where Jacob is at, what brought him to this point, but in your Bibles in Genesis 32, and we're going to go down and start reading at verse 19 and go down through to the end of the chapter. The Bible says, this is Jacob, he also, when it refers to he, he is Jacob, he also instructed the second, the third, and all the others who followed the herds. You were to say the same thing to Esau. Remember, Jacob had a brother, twin brother, by the name of Esau. When you meet him. And be sure to say, your servant Jacob is coming behind us. For he thought, I will pacify him with these gifts. I am sending on ahead. Later, when I see him, perhaps he will receive me. 
So Jacob's gifts went on ahead of him, and he, but he himself spent the night in the camp. That night, Jacob got up, took his two wives, his two maidservants, and his 11 sons, and crossed the ford of the Yabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. We're going to stop reading right there. Jacob's wrestling match. I want to give you a little bit of background to where this is because for those of you who feel like, you know, I come from a dysfunctional family, there are dysfunctional families all through the Bible. In fact, there are, there, you know, Hollywood can't do it as well as the Bible does. In fact, Hollywood has tried on a number of occasions to nail some of the Bible stories, and they go so far off base, and it's not even poetic license. It's just they just do what they want with the story to feel like they make it. You don't have to make it more dramatic. Because going back in Jacob's life, we're going to go back a few years, a number of years, 20, maybe 25 years, not sure how long, He was with his father-in-law Laban, but he is now headed back to his homeland. God has told him, get away from your father-in-law. That was, I have a great relationship with my father-in-law, but his father-in-law was a real piece of work. God said, get away from your father-in-law and just go and, and, you know, it's time to be done. We don't know how long he was there, at least 14, 15 years. He had to work for him for 14 years for Rachel. So at least that long, and I'm sure longer. He's on his way back to his homeland, but what caused him to leave in the first place was this strife between Jacob and Esau. His brother Esau came in from the field one day, and the Bible says that he came in and he was so famished. You ever been so hungry that you just, you know, if you don't get food, you feel like you're going to collapse on the floor. Esau comes in, he's been hunting all day, and Jacob's over there preparing some stew, some lentil stew. And he looks at that and he smells it. He says, i got to have some of that stew. And Jacob is so deceptive, he's so crafty. He said, all right, I'll give you some of my stew. But you know what? You're the oldest son, and I want the birthright. Sell me your birthright for a bowl of stew. 
And Jacob said, or Esau said, what good is a birthright to me if I'm dead anyway? I'm going to starve. Fine, I'll sell you my birthright. Give me the stew. And Jacob takes the birthright from him. Rightfully, it was Esau's. Now it belongs to him. And then in another deceptive act, he goes in and fools his blinded father, Isaac, who is now old and blind and can't get out of bed. He pretends that he is Esau. He goes in and Isaac, you know, he says, come over here. You know, you, you, let me make sure that you're Esau because Esau is a big old hairy dude. And you know what? Let me just kind of come up, you know, let me feel. Oh, it goes up, Isaac's smooth skin, you know, no hair on his body. He goes, and his mother, uh, Rebecca, had, had covered him in some kind of animal skin. He go over Wow, you're, you're kind of extra hairy there, Esau. But you know what? That's Esau good enough. But you sound like Jacob. But no, no, I'm Esau for sure. I'm Esau. And he blesses him and gives him the birthright. And Esau's so angry. Esau says, I'm going to kill him. I am going to kill this guy. He is stolen from me. He is taken from me. Esau forgot the fact you sold it, brother. You sold out for a, uh, for a bowl of beans. You sold out for something that was temporary. You could have had something that was eternal. You could have had a blessing from God. You could have had something that was greater than a silly little bowl of soup. But you sold out for what was temporary. He said, I don't care. I'm, I'm going to kill him. He took from me. So Jacob runs. He goes to his father-in-law Laban. And what is also another, it's, it's so romantic. Jacob arrives. Rebecca has told him, go to my brother Laban. You know what? Mary and the family, Mary from the household there. And all of a sudden, he sees this woman at a well by the name of Rachel. And all of a sudden, it was love at first sight. In fact, he goes over there, and, and the, the problem was she had gone out to get some water at a well, and the stone was over the well, and she couldn't move it, and she had all these flocks to tend and to take care of and to water, but it required usually two and three men to move the stone, and Jacob is so strong, and of course, right then, I think it was a little bit of adrenaline that was pumping in this guy because he's like, man, look at this woman. She is beautiful. I've got to have her. And he goes over all by himself and he picks up that big old stone and he moves it away and he waters all of her flocks and then he starts crying. Guys, he starts crying. He starts weeping. And then guess what he does? He lays a big one on her. He kisses her right then and there. Love at first sight. He wants to marry her instantly. Laban says, no, seven years. you got to work for me. And then Laban tricks her. He tricks him. He works seven years to marry. And the Bible says that it seemed like it was nothing to him. It flew by. The time flew by because of his love. All the ladies are like, really? Seriously? Is there really a guy like that? I, I don't know. I, it seems there was. I don't know where they went, ladies. I, I don't know what happened to them. I don't know where, where they are works and then all of a sudden gets in on his wedding night and she lifts the veil after the wedding is over and it's not Rachel the older sister oh but you know Jacob Jacob was so mad he was so angry Laban says but you know it's it's not customary for the youngest to get married first you know it's got to be the oldest 
says, work for me another seven years. Seven years, are you kidding me? I got to work another seven years. He does it. The Bible says it flew by. But now as time goes on, there is strife between Laban Jacob is, and Jacob, and there's this accumulation of wealth, and God says to Jacob, it's time to go back to your homeland. But now the Bible tells us, as we get a little further into this, the Bible tells us that Esau hears that Jacob is coming back. And as far as Jacob is concerned, nothing has changed. In fact, he gets word, he sends out, and he says, you know what, I've got to try to smooth this thing over with Esau because if I don't, it's, it's lights out for me, for my family, for my children, all everything that I have, he's going to take it. You know what, let me just send word to him and say, listen, you know, I'm coming back. Will you, you, know, will you please accept these few gifts? The servant comes back and says, he took the gifts. But now he's coming with 400 men. You don't go with 400 men anywhere unless you mean to do somebody harm. And this is where we pick up. This passage occurs in the whole setting of Esau is coming from one direction. Jacob is heading toward him head on. He instructs a couple of servants, three servants. He says, I want you to take a big bundle of gifts and I want you to push it his way. And when you get there, say Esau or Jacob is coming behind and this is all for you. This is what you, and I want you to do that. Three times he did that. He sends three. And then finally, it's just him and his family and his few possessions that he has with him at that moment. And the Bible says here, and we read it, where he sends his family over first. Now, this is, this is a mystery to a lot of people. It, this is almost as if this is his character to hide behind something or someone, to not own up to who you are, to not own up to your deception, to not own up to all of these things. He's thinking, I'm going to get rid of all of this. I'm going to just send it to Esau and I'm going to smooth it over, but there doesn't seem to be anything. But now he sends his family across and he stays behind. But God is about to do something in that moment that is going to change his life forever. And the Bible lets us know this. Go down to verse 20. Go down to verse 24. The Bible says this. We don't know what provoked the attack. We don't know where this man came from. We don't really know who he is. There's no name. There's no identity in fact, he wanted to keep his identity hidden, so he came at night. But the Bible says this in verse 24. So Jacob was left alone. A man wrestled with him till daybreak. He came in, and all of a sudden now, this guy comes up alongside of Jacob, maybe from behind, maybe something, and he starts to wrestle with him. He's not there to kill him. He's not there to do anything but... but literally get into a wrestling match. This is one of the, the great classic stories of the Bible. And the Bible says that they are wrestling and they are wrestling and they are wrestling and we don't know how long it went on. We do know that it went till daybreak. We don't know when it started, but we know it went on for a while. 
And the Bible says this in verse 25, when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket. Now the word touched actually indicates not necessarily a touch as in a supernatural touch, but probably more like a blow, like some kind of a fist. Somewhere along the way, he hit him in the place in the hip that was so tender that it dislocated his hip socket. Now, I have never had a dislocated anything. I'm not interested in checking it out. For those of you who would like to just, you know, Pastor, let me come dislocate your fingers. Thank you, no. I'm good. But I remember, I remember in Bible college, a pastor, well, he's a pastor now. We were classmates in, in Bible college. I believe he pastors up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin at this point. But I remember Anthony Franklin. He originally came from uh, D.C., Washington, D.C. We were playing basketball one day in the gym. And as we were playing basketball, something happened to him. And he said this happens often to where his shoulder dislocated. Now, it came out of its socket. I don't know if anybody ever had that problem here. All right, yeah, you've, some of you have had it. Came out of his socket, and I saw this guy. He was in so much pain, he could hardly get off the floor. He was in so much pain. Now, think about this for a minute. This is Jacob's hip. You know, if your hips go, you're not, you're not going far, right? Robert knows he's had a hip replacement. He, you know, the hip goes and, and it slows you down in a major way. So the hip socket comes out of its socket and now Jacob is in pain. I cannot imagine the pain that he has. And even in the midst of pain, he doesn't let go of this, this mysterious man that we know nothing about. He won't let him go. Can you imagine the strength of this man, Jacob? As he is in so much pain, he won't let him go. And he says, I refuse to let you go until you bless me. Now, I don't know everything that the blessing was. But the blessing that came out of this situation was what we're going to read right now. And this is really the major part that I want us to get to today. And I want us to deal with. The Bible says this. In verse 27, the man asked him, what is your name? We name people today, names mean nothing anymore. Back then, it meant something. And obviously, he replied to him, he said, my name is Jacob. What does Jacob mean? Jacob means supplanter or Literally, quite literally, one who grabs at the heel, which is honestly how he was born. He came out, he was the second of the twins to be born. But when he came out of the womb, he, he was born and he actually had grabbed onto the heel of his brother and was born that way. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, and then later on, Esau reveals something about Jacob and his character and his nature. And he says these words to his mother. He says, wasn't he rightly named Jacob because he is a deceiver? I want you to know, brothers and sisters, in that moment, Jacob knew what his name was. 
Jacob knew and he understands, understood that. It wasn't about, well, what's your name? Well, my name is this, you know. Oh, nice to meet you. You know, this was not a, 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 an exchange here that was superficial. This was an exchange that went below the superficial surface and it went down into the heart of his character, his nature, and who he was. And I want you to know today that what God is looking for in our lives is for us to own up to who we are and to say, God, I am this way. But I want you to know that you don't have to stay that way. For those who buy into the lie that, you know, this is your identity, this is who you are. You know what? God came to change the identity of Jacob. He came to change who he was in his character. He wasn't going to change his personality because you know what? God uses personalities. God uses that. Now, if it gets in the way of his kingdom, then he might have to remold and reshape a little bit. But God will take care of that. But I want you to know that it was about his nature that God was speaking to him in this moment and saying, Who? Who are you? I am a deceiver. I am a supplanter. I am one who is always trying to reach up and get something more. And I don't care what it takes. I don't care how I get it. And this was, this was how he did it. Remember, he didn't care how he got the birthright. It didn't matter to him. It didn't matter to He didn't wait for God in any of these situations. He reached out and he took hold of it. And he got it. He got it definitely for sure. But he hurt a few people along the way. His family was dysfunctional as a result of some of the ways that he went about things. And as a result of all of this, you you have to understand, Jacob is sticking behind. You know why? Because he's afraid. You know why? Because he hurt his brother. He was afraid of his brother because he hurt his brother. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, there are times in our lives where the decisions that we make and the things that we do in our own sinful human nature, they can impact somebody's life in a way that will cause you to just withdraw and cower in a corner. You know what? God has better things in store for you. He has victory in store for you. This is where Jacob's going to end up, but he's got it in store for you. But the way that you are able to get there is first to own up to to your nature, who you are. Say, God, this is me. He said, I'm Jacob. I am a deceiver. He owned up to it in that moment. He said, this is how I have been. This is how I am. And I'm in this situation today because of the fact that I deceived. I was, I was wrong. I was sinful. I want you to know, listen, I, I don't know where you're at today. I don't know where you're at spiritually today. I just know this. I know that God has something better in store for you and it's not going to happen until you're willing to open up your heart to him and say, God, I'm, I'm going to let you do in my life what you desire to do. And this is where the change takes place. In that moment when he confessed who he was, when he owned up to his nature, he owned up to his character and he said, this is what I am. This is the best that I can do with me today, then God is able to come down and He is able to reshape you and mold you and make you into His image to do something great and mighty in your life. Because here's what happens. The Bible says this. It says in verse 28, Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob. Jacob 
Now, you read the rest of Genesis, and Genesis does not actually refer to Jacob. Even after that, the author still refers to him as Jacob. But there has been a change. There is a character change that occurs in his life in this moment. And the Bible says, but Israel, because you have struggled with God. This man that had been fighting with him, wrestling with him, was sent from God. We don't know if he was an angel. We don't know if he's a. We don't know much about him. We don't really know anything about him. Most people have assumed he was an angel, in which case makes you wonder why Jacob was still able, in some ways, to have enough strength to overpower him. If he were an angel, he could do it, unless he was holding back on his own abilities and his own power. We don't really know. That's really not the point. Who really cares at that point what was going on? What matters is what was taking place in this divine divine encounter in the heart and the life of this man Jacob and the Bible says you will be Israel because you have struggled with God you have struggled you have fought you have laid hold of me and I want you to know listen to what it says at the end of this verse struggled with God and men and you have overcome You know what? God has overcoming in store for you. God is not interested in you just kind of squeaking by and always being beat down by the same sin, by the same nonsense, by the same stuff that you go to time and time again. And every time you do, it just leaves you a little bit empty and it leaves you feeling as though somehow there's got to be more than this. I want you to know there is more, but it takes laying a hold of God and saying, I'm not going to let you go go until you bless me and you know what you will overcome Jesus said these words on one occasion he said this kind does not go out but by prayer and fasting there are times in our lives where God desires us to come and struggle with him it says in the book of Ephesians, Paul writes to the Ephesian church and says we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers. The problem is what Leonard Ravenhill once said is that we don't wrestle at all. We just stop wrestling. We stop fighting. We stop laying a hold of God. We, we just said, hey, you know what, let me just give in and we'll see. I, hopefully I'm good enough in the end that God will just let me into heaven. It's not about good enough. It's never been about good enough. It's been about His grace. It's been about His changing your life. Jesus said to Nicodemus, when Nicodemus came to him that night, he came to him alone, afraid. He was a religious leader. All the religious leaders at that point were against Jesus. So he's coming undercover because he knows Jesus has a whole lot more to offer than what these guys are saying. That there is something about this man, Jesus, that is, that is so incredible and so great. So he comes to him at night. And he wants to, he's talking to him and Jesus tells him these words. He says this, you must be born again. What does that mean? It means simply born of the spirit. The spirit comes down. He says, you know, and Nicodemus can't understand. He says, how how am I going to do that? 
you know, he's thinking physically. I'm a grown man. I, I can't be a baby and be born again. That's not possible. And Jesus said, no, it's you've got to be born from above. In other words, the God desires to bring new life to your spirit and cause you to be different than what you are. You're not going to look different. You may have the same voice. You may have everything. But the bottom line is on the inside, something has changed. Your character now has changed. Now the sin gets washed away and you are purified in his presence to be what God has called you to be not what you think you ought to be listen we can say we are masters of our own destiny all we want but in the end you can't change anything about tomorrow it is in his hands and you've got to walk in step with him or you can do your own thing and let let the chips fall where they may but in the end I want you to know that when it all comes down to it God has good things in store for you the Bible says here that Jacob overcame. What are you going to do? Are you going to overcome? Or are you just going to give in? Do your own thing. Jacob could have just ignored this situation. You know, he could have just gotten bitter because now he's in pain. And the Bible says after this whole event, he limps away. He doesn't walk away. He's not as strong as he was before. From the day that day until the day he died, Jacob would walk with a limp simply because of what took place, that injury that took place that would eventually heal. It would eventually heal okay, but he did walk with a limp. And the Bible says this in verse 29. It says, Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? He said, then he blessed him there. Now, what took place before was a changing of the character. It was a changing of the nature. There was something that took place in his heart, but now there is a blessing. The same thing that God has promised to Abraham, to Jacob's father Isaac, is now coming to Jacob. I'm going to make you a great nation. And already it has started and it has become. The Bible goes on and it says in verse 30, So Jacob called the place Peniel. That word Peniel actually literally means face of God. On another occasion, Jacob had come to a place, you remember, and, uh, that Jacob had had this dream, where in the dream, as he laid down in that dream, he, the dream was that he, he saw this ladder and it went up to heaven. And, and the Bible says that the angels of God were going up and down the ladder. And when he woke up, he recognized that that was a place where God was, and he named it Bethel, which means house of God. Listen, the house of God is great. It's wonderful. But the problem is that sometimes we can go into the house of God and never be changed by the God of the house. And listen, brothers and sisters, if there is something that we need so desperately in our own lives, in our church, it is not just to get into the house of God, but then to get to this place that is named Peniel, which means face of God, face of God, brothers and sisters, is really where it's all at. It's where you encounter God. It's where He changes you and molds you and shapes you into what He desires you to be. I, I don't want to be what I want to be. You know what? I've messed up my life too much in the past. Say, say, Pastor, don't we know you well? You know, we've only known you as a pastor. That's the problem. You've only known me as a pastor. You didn't know me when I was a rebellious preacher's kid. When I was doing my own thing, 
And even after that, there were times where the enemy was doing his best to seek, to kill, and to destroy, even when I was in Bible college. My Bible college years were some of the most tumultuous times of my life simply because there were choices that I made in the old nature, in the old character, and messed it up to the point where I walked away from those days. And I said, if I could do it over again, I would go back in a heartbeat and do it over again. But I want you to know, brothers and sisters, while we don't have an undo button, we don't have a delete button, but I want you to know that God, under the blood of Jesus Christ, is able to wash everything new. And the Bible says, when you are under the blood of Jesus, that He wipes the slate clean. You may be able to remember what you did, but God looks at you as though you had never sinned. I don't know about you, but that gets me a little excited and makes me a little bit happy when God says, I don't see anything that you did. You say, but God, let me remind you. No, you don't have to because it's gone. It's under the blood. Listen, when you encounter him face to face, he wipes the slate clean. He changes you. Now, I want you to know, thank you for that. Amen. I want you to know this, that let's, in fact, let's fast forward just a little bit, shall we? And let's go down a little bit and go into chapter 33. We didn't take time to read it, but I want you to see a little bit of a difference here in what took place. Because remember how it was that Jacob sent his family ahead of him, sent all his family. It's as if he was hiding, but now there's been a change and he's about to encounter Esau. And the Bible says this. Remember, Esau still came with 400 men. He's still coming to do business. But something has changed. Chapter 33, verse 1, Jacob looked up and there was Esau coming from his, with his 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two maidservants. He put the maidservants of their children in front. Leah and her children next, Rachel and Joseph in the rear. He himself, notice this, where he was before was he was in the back. But now the Bible says he himself went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. Get this, this is so powerful. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. Then Esau looked up and saw the women and children. Who are these with you? He asked. Jacob answered, they are the children God has graciously given your servant. You see, there was a change that took place in that moment in the heart, in the life of Jacob where he had been hanging back. But now he puts everybody out there and he says, all right, give me a minute. Let me get up to the front. And he goes out and he owns up not just to his character, but he owned up to his past. And he says, I'm going to now... I'll take this step of faith and put it behind me as he goes out to meet his brother. He humbles himself to the man that he has wronged. He humbles himself. There are people who come alongside of you. They say, you know, you really hurt me. And they point back to a moment in your life. You know what we do? We have the tendency to just defend ourselves constantly. But, but, but you don't understand. You don't understand. We get so angry and upset. You know what? Pride will kill you. 
Humble yourself not only in the presence of God, but humble yourself in the presence of those that you might have hurt and you might have done wrong to. You know, the Bible says that he bows himself seven times to the ground to this man saying, you know what, if you're going to kill me, you might as well go ahead and kill me in front of all my family. And Esau comes running to him. And see, this is the wonderful thing about the power of God is God can change your life. But at the same time, he's changing yours. He can change the heart of the individual that you have hurt, that you have wronged, that you've put one over on to the point where now Esau comes. He's still got his 400 you know, foot soldiers behind him. But all of a sudden, he's coming out there with his arms open wide. And the Bible says these two brothers, they hug and they embrace and they cry and they weep and they kiss one another. It's been so long since I've seen you. Uh, you say, well, time has healed all wounds. No, I don't think it was time. I think it was the power of God that came down and changed this situation. Brothers and sisters, when God does something in your life, he can begin that motion of doing something in the lives of those those that are around you. Yes, there's no undo or delete button, but I want you to know that God is able to reshape and remold even those that are around you because of what he has done in your own life. And this is what took place. Listen, today, God desires to have an encounter with you. He desires to meet you. He desires to change you. Say, Pastor, does he want to make me like you? Oh, I hope not. God help us if that's true. But that's not true. Because I read in the Bible where it is that Paul writes to one church and he says, until Christ is formed in you. That is what God wants to accomplish in you. It's to make you like Jesus. To cause you to be more and more like him. Say, how can I do that? He was so perfect. He was so holy. I, I, can't, I can't do that. You know what? In the end, it all comes down to the fact that he will do that work in you. You will not be perfect until you meet him face to face. But if you will submit now, confess him as Lord now, like the chorus that we sang earlier, you won't have to do it later by force. And the Bible says in Philippians, it tells us that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. He wants to remold you. He wants to shape you into his image. He wants to remake you to cause you to be what he wants you to be. I want every head bowed. I want the musicians to come back and play that chorus, he is Lord. But before we leave this building, I want to extend an invitation with every head bowed and every eye closed. To anybody in this building who knows you need Jesus, you need that encounter with God. You need that encounter with him that will change you, that will give you the forgiveness of sins that you need to move forward. God desires to do that in your heart. I can't do it for you. And, and there isn't anybody in this room who can do it. It is your choice. It is what he has freely given but you have to reach out and take hold of it. Jacob could have maybe shaken this experience off as some stranger, you know, going a little crazy. But he recognized it for what it was, that it was to change him. God desires to change us. 
and to cause us to be more and more like him. If you're here today and you know you need Jesus Christ in your heart, in your life, in your mind, in every part of you. Look, it's a, it's a commitment that you will make. But it is a commitment you will never regret. If you're here today and you know you need Jesus. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to ask you to put up your hand and then take it right down. You know you need Christ in your heart. And you have not received him. Maybe you have, but you've, you've gone away. Take this moment right now in the presence of Almighty God. And let the Holy Spirit work in you. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. God has better things in store for you than what you have made in your life. God has more in store for you than what you can see with the eye. But it takes saying, God, here's who I am. I'm going to own up to what I am. I am a sinner. The Bible says that all of us are sinners and fallen short of the glory of God. But it is His grace and His mercy that gives us hope. It was grace and mercy that gave Jacob hope. It's the same here today it, for you. Only now we have Jesus and the cross to look back at and say, thank you, Jesus, for dying for my sins. But it will be of no, no value to you unless you receive it. You need Jesus. Make him your Lord right now. Anybody in this building.